some tropes. Today's episode is brought to you by the letter T for tropes. <laughs> I'm David. And I'm Hannah. And we're talking about puppets today, guys. It's puppet time. Everybody love puppets. Puppets I mean, aren't creepy. Puppets I, are great. <laughs> right. I feel like, you know, it's October. So I feel like we have to preface this episode by saying, like, we're not here to talk about, like, Chucky or, like, Goosebumps or, like, Well, I mean, I think it's puppets. in the conversation, though. I mean, Is it? Like, All right. Because Chucky, when he's done with practical effects, is different than when he's done with CGI, right? I mean, It's a different sure. kind of feel. Sure. Um, but, but you know, we're not here to scare you folks, is what, what, what I'm oh, trying I, to I say. Oh, I Oh, yeah. You're here to talk to us today about the terrors of puppets. Maybe. I don't know. We're, we just finished watching the, uh, the, the Netflix show, uh, The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, which is a, a prequel to a film that we, we both grew up with. And, and uh, Hannah, you have a, a much deeper connection to this, uh, this lore <laughs> than, than I do. Uh, do you um, want to speak to that a little bit? Yeah, so uh, in a bit of embarrassing personal history... Um, there was, a <laughs> there was a novel writing contest for a prequel series to the Dark Crystal and they'd, um, they'd already released several graphic novels set, uh, before the events of the, the Jim Henson 1980s movie, The Dark Crystal. Um, and, you know, I grew up watching that movie, like, at least once a week on VHS, like, that's <laughs> how into this movie I was as a child, um. But uh, I decided, hey, this is something that I should definitely do. So I have about, like, 20,000 words of a, like, novel. Fan fiction. <laughs> of, at this point, fan fiction. But what potentially could have been the novel, because the guy who actually won that competition <laughs> worked on this show. So this, this is like a fun vision into what my life could have been if I was a, a more successful person. Mm. <laughs> So I, I really liked the show. I, I thought that it was, I mean, I thought that it absolutely built on the themes of the original and sort of, you know, uh, it was a really like progressive vision for the story and a progressive vision for like fantasy in general, which tends to be a pretty conservative genre. And this I felt was kind of revolutionary. What did, what did you think? Um, I think it suffered from prequelitis pretty hardcore, and uh, in doing so, ruined a lot of what I loved about the original. But I think I might be the only person on the internet who thinks that way, because I like cannot find a negative review of the show anywhere. <laughs> like maybe, I, maybe you're also just uh, just a little hurt because because uh, you didn't get to be hurt. on the rating squad maybe for that I'm show. Maybe I'm bitter because my idea was better. <laughs> oh yeah. That, that's what it was. No, I, I, I really don't think it is. I have, this was many, many years ago now, so I, I feel like I've long since moved past that particular um, stumbling block. Because I went into the show really excited and ready to like it and, you know, ready to, to get lost in this world that I, I truly loved. And then I was just very bored. <laughs> like, like, that's the thing. The uh -huh. show isn't bad. I don't, like, hate this show. I was just very bored by it. So I, I'm really interested to hear, like, what your thoughts are on it, David. Because I, I kind of want to be convinced to like it, you know? I want to be sure. convinced that it's got something worthwhile to offer me. Well, I, I just think, first of all, just on a purely visual level, 
Um, I, I feel like this is doing something that hasn't been done really since the Dark Crystal, which Absolutely. is innovating in terms of uh, in terms of practical effects on set. And the the way that they combine it with the CGI, um, I, I really do think sort of lessens the weaknesses of, of, of each one, you know? Like, yeah. Like CGI has this weakness where it just always looks like it's not really there. Um, right. You can make really smooth, really like expressive animation, but it just never quite looks like you're actually looking at something that exists. Mm-hmm. And puppets, they absolutely look like they're there, but they're not expressive. They have limited facial movement, limited physical movement. You can only show them from certain angles because there's literally like a hand up there. Right. Um, so I think that like the combination of the cgi in certain shots and like the cgi embellishments to make the faces look a little bit more expressive i think it's like a huge visual improvement on the dark crystal i i would agree with you there i think because um i did watch the the making of special as well the the documentary that netflix put out about um sort of the making of and which do more of that i mean like that's we need more behind the scenes content for all these Netflix shows. <laughs> um, they're, they're, yeah. they're, they're so often just left out like, and you know, nobody buys Netflix DVDs. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So there's, there's just nowhere for this content to go necessarily. Um, but, but I, I really was, I was very impressed with a lot of the technical elements of, um, of the dark crystal age of resistance and, you know, the way that it did feel like the next step in like puppetry evolution and, and really watching this documentary and seeing the, the amount of work that just has to go into this, that you don't even really think about and that they, that you don't have to think about because everyone involved was just so talented at their job. Um, like, like it's, it's really impressive. And, and I, so I'm with you on that point. I think visually it's stunning. I think the, the acting of the puppeteers is phenomenal. Um, I think a lot of the voice work on the show was, was pretty excellent. Um, yeah, especially like, uh, um, what's his name? Simon Pegg. Uh, yeah. Who's doing an amazing impression of the original actor, Frank Oz. Well, uh, it wasn't Frank Oz's voice um, for for the Chamberlain, was it? Is that not? I believe it was. Oh, you know what? You're right. Yeah. Never mind. It was played by Pontius Pilate <laughs> from Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> right. So so it wasn't Frank Oz's voice, but, you know, it, it was his uh, his puppeteering expertise. He was the, the motions for the character. Um and yeah, so they like, yeah, Simon Pegg absolutely nails like the voice of the Chamberlain. Mark Hamill does an amazing job as um, the scientist. Like, it definitely sounds like Mark Hamill, you know, but yeah. like, it's just so fun to listen to. Who cares? Um, like, like this is a truly kind of star studded cast. Yeah. I mean, they're not trying to a hundred percent replicate the voices from the original. Most of the time they're, they're, they really are making it their own. And, you know, I didn't find the celebrity voices distracting, uh, despite the fact that, like, in the original, you had no idea who any of these people are, partially right. because you're a child and these are a bunch of people from the 80s. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that the, the voice acting was was really effective. So, so you know, there are, there are a lot of things going for this, 
But I think where it really fell down for me was the story. I thought it was a lot of really beautiful, amazing technical work and like solid acting in service of a so-so script that and in a very lackluster plot. Um, and I think well, speak to like, if you could tell me a little bit more about the sort of prequelization that bothered you, sure. um, because you know, you had more of an attachment to that original source material. Yes. So, um, there's the thing that a lot of people often complain about in prequelization, um, that I feel like is really apparent here is this, this urge of the the filmmakers or the writers to explain everything in like so much detail that some of the like magic of the original gets sort of like scrubbed away. Um, so I feel like, you know, like they try to over explain the world and how it works and the minutia of it. And, you know, Agra is the crystal and the crystal is Agra and all this stuff. But then it makes like a lot of the characters actions in the original feel very bizarre if this is the history that they're immediately drawing from, you know, like it, it could have only been like what, 15 years in the past, however old the Gulflings are in the original that like most of this was sort of happening, like maybe 30 years tops, but like, you know, they're, Wait, they're... Is, how, how are you getting that number? I'm confused. Well, I don't know. They're supposed to be like teenagers, right? It's like a, they feel young in the original, right? Right, but I mean, how do you know that those Gelfling were born yet? I mean, like, they, I mean, I don't think they necessarily were. So, right, like, like, let's throw another. It, it's not a hundred years, though. Um, I know that from it could, it could various. Be. I mean, I know for a fact that it's not a hundred years. Okay. Um, there was information released around, uh, like timeline for this. Um, and you know, it's, it's not a long timeline basically. Like it's, it's more than 15 years. You're right. But I, I just, I, I didn't notice any like direct contradictions, uh, which you can sometimes see in prequels. And I think it's like considering how loose the lore is for this story to the point where you know, they did sort of leave it up to a bunch of fans to to, to write the, <laughs> you know, the, the rest of the lore of the world. Yes, yes. I thought that, you know, uh, this felt like, because we don't get to see uh, Gelfling society sure. in, uh, in the original. And this mainly, that was the main place of expansion was the governments, you know, the, the Madras and the all Madras and mm-hmm. the different you know, racial caste system that they have. And I thought that was really interesting and sort of, you know, mirrored our own world in, in a lot of interesting ways. Right. I So I, I don't mind that in and of itself. And I think if I, if I had watched Age of Resistance without knowing the Dark Crystal, it would have been fine. I think I would have liked it a lot more. But the thing that I can't get out of my head is that for all of these really noble speeches and, you know, idea that if we band together, we can defeat the Skeksis and all that. Like, like I know how the Skeksis eventually are defeated. Like that's the whole plot of the original movie. Like I know everyone else is genocided and dead. Like, like, I, I know right, what but happens. I mean that's uh, that to me adds to the you know the stakes of the story because you know like 
you know what's going to happen, but you don't know how. Like, I mean, that's exactly what a prequel is for. It's, you know, what we're showing is uh, a tragedy. We know that at some point... But the um, show doesn't feel like a tragedy. Like, they work really hard to make it all these positive, uplifting messages. Like, this is not a, a doomed struggle. And it just feels disingenuous to me. And... I don't know. I feel like in a lot of ways it does sort of feel like a doomed struggle. I mean, the world is collapsing around them. Uh, darkness is closing in. The uh, the Skeksis only become more powerful over time. People are, you know, getting killed left and right in something that, you know, while it's not a kid's show, it kids are going to be watching this. I mean, because it's puppets. Right. Um, and, I, I mean, like there is a sense of just hopelessness, like especially in those scenes where, um, you know, we're trying to negotiate with the Skeksis and then uh, you find that it's just impossible to negotiate with them. They have all the power in the society and they're not going to give it up. And there's no, there's no easy fix. Uh, You have to actually, you know, fight to the death and like, there's a solid chance that you're going to lose. And we, as the audience know that they do lose, that this isn't going to turn out well for them. Right. But that's, that's, I think that's why I find it boring. Like I know it's going to end. So you can make as many pretty speeches as you want and the music can swell and, you know, you can all clasp hands and say, we're coming together. (laughs) I feel like I do though. And they haven't done enough. I think in this show to try to disprove that. And and maybe because this is just season one, like they left it very open-ended. Clearly there's going to be a season two. Um, Like, I I think it would be sort of crazy if there wasn't Um, like it, it just, it feels incomplete. It feels too optimistic. I, I, I don't feel the same way. I think that if they, didn't make a second season, which obviously they're going to, and it's going to fill in more gaps and it's going to, you know, expand more of the lore and we're going to learn more. And that might, you know, that might be frustrating, but if they ended it right now and it just skipped right from here to the, to the movie, I think that's a complete narrative. arc. I mean, sure, but I would hate this still (laughs) because the point is they they did unite and that's the culmination of their story but the fact is that they as their current generation are unable to defeat the skexis they have to leave it to the next generation um and then those are the people who actually do unite the good with the bad who find this you know cosmic balance and and restore order to uh to the the planet okay I, I I don't know. I'm still I'm still not convinced. It still it still rubs me the wrong way personally. Well, I mean, it just it seems like your problem is just that you you don't like that the story is centered on Gelflings that you know are going to die. Or if it's if it's centered on Gelflings who I know are going to die, I need the narrative to kind of like acknowledge that a little bit. That like. 
Like, you know, like, people die, but it's always like, it was a noble sacrifice so that I could continue on, and then we will together solve this problem. Us. This group of misfits. And it's like, it's not you group of misfits at all. <laughs> and the narrative is, like, not acknowledging that in any way. And, like, it feels silly to not acknowledge it because, again, this movie's been out well, for, like, 30 years. Yeah, but it's, I mean, it's a it's a cult classic. It's not something that everyone's familiar with. I mean, right, but they're both available on Netflix right now. So let's say someone finishes season one of Age of Resistance and they're like, hey, I'm really into this. Oh, whoa, this is the movie that it's based on. Let's watch. And it's just like, who needs a season two now? It doesn't matter. Like, they all die. The end. I, I just think that's like a, a really terrible way to think about story. I mean, like, story isn't just who lives and who dies. Story is the changes from the characters, the world as it evolves, you know, all of these things. Like... When we're watching Age of Resistance, what we're seeing is resistance to a genocide. And you have to know that that has meaning, even if that genocide is still going to come about. Sure. And even if we know that the, the, the villain is eventually going to be defeated. I mean, like, every historical drama is a prequel. Yes. But, but you know, like, when you watch a movie about historical... I mean, maybe it's, again, maybe it's because I don't feel like we've really seen the effects of them truly losing yet that it feels kind of empty to me. Or maybe I just didn't connect with the characters. Right. Well, this is the first, the first season I would imagine in the second season we go darker. And then uh, in the third season, maybe that's, you know, the, the, the final end where everything is lost, but for one, you know, possible chance. And then that leads directly into the movie. All right. I, I have a question for you. Were you surprised yeah. by anything that happened in season one? I was surprised by a lot of stuff. Uh, I was really surprised by like the, the, the political simulacrum of the narrative. Like when we see Celadon uh, go into <laughs> the Skeksis dressed up as a Skeksis, uh, and 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 trying to negotiate with them and they just completely negate her and like tear off her costume and send her down to be drained of essence. I mean, that was like a shocking turn because you typically expect like there's a side of good and a side of evil and you can side with evil and you're typically, you know, rewarded for it until the the heroes have to come stop you. But in this, it was... She was trying to negotiate on behalf of her people with beings that had no incentive to negotiate back with her. You know, they they had all the power in the situation. And that was something I'd never seen in like a fantasy story before, um, because in fantasy stories, like evil is just evil. It doesn't have political ends. It doesn't have it doesn't have that dimension. Uh, I was also really surprised by uh, what they did with the the spider people um, and showing that, like, spider people are not just monsters. They also have a political right. dimension. Uh, it was it was all about, like, everything was able to be fleshed out and, and disturbed. Uh, meeting the, um, the, the Andy Samberg one <laughs> and the Bill Hader <laughs> one. 
Yeah. That was fun. And I didn't know that that was something that could be contained within the Dark Crystal universe based on what I had seen from the movie. That was new and, and interesting. And they put on a fucking puppet show in a puppet that show. puppet show. That puppet show was like my favorite part of the entire thing. I do have to say, like that was amazing. Yeah, I mean, there was just a lot of stuff that I, I I really dug. I mean, a lot of it was tropey, but that's I like that stuff too. You know, you have like these three stories going on, which are basically the three. Uh, foundational um, fantasy movie myths. You know, you have like a warrior who's trying to live up to his father's name and uh, and every person from the middle of, uh, you know, nowhere who like bursts out of the ground to mm-hmm. start an adventure. And then you have somebody who's destined for royalty, but who rejects the crown to serve the people. Like these are like the three basic fantasy plots, uh, but done all together where no one overshadows the other. I will say that I I, I did like that. It, the three main protagonists did all feel like heroes in their own right. And that, you know, it wasn't like Rion's story that Brea and Deet were just sort of like side characters to, or Deet's story where Rion and Brea were the side, like all three of them felt very essential. Um, so I, I, I will give it that. Um, but I, I don't know. It just felt too tropey to me. Like the scene you mentioned where Celadon went to the Skeksis and was basically shut down by them and thrown in jail. Like I, I could see that coming a mile away because she, she was either going to be killed or proven wrong. And those were her only two ends, you know, like there was. There was no. Well, she could have. She could have become, you know, their sort of emissary, and then it would have been a sister conflict, you know, sister versus sister. That would have been way more tropey. This was a subversion of that. But that's how her story started: was a sister versus sister conflict. So it right, but this would be the expansion that. of that. That's what I'm saying. <sighs> is it started off as sister versus sister? This would have literally situated her as the villain of the story. She would have been the Cersei, you know? Mm -hmm. But after this, she gets to have that taken away from her. And then it's a a story about, you know, whether they can forgive her and whether she can be, you know, accepted back. Um, Right. That was interesting to me. Which she is. I I, I don't know. I, I, I didn't find that particularly revolutionary. I didn't find... Um, I, I did kind of like the spiders, but the, the inclusion of the spiders and the amount of CG that was used on them, I found a little bit distracting. Like that, that was one element where I felt like, I don't know well, why. I thought it was a nice to... homage. The way that the spiders move is very reminiscent of, um, the, the, the grabbing hands in, uh, the helping hands in, in Labyrinth. Mm. Um, okay. You know, they kind true. of form faces through yeah. puppetry. Yeah. I mean, like, this was basically just like a love letter to puppets, which is why I wanted <laughs> to do this puppet episode. All um, right. All right. Well. And, and, you know, like, the spiders, like, they are spooky. They're, they're, they're there's definitely like a, spooky. There's an interesting element to, like, this hive mind of spiders. Um, and then, like, that kind of seems like an, just a pure evil. Like there's no way that you can make that sympathetic, but then they do. And they turn it into a Israeli Palestine narrative about, <laughs> you know, colonization and statelessness. Um, right. 
I'm like that's that's pretty fucking unique for a fantasy story. I haven't seen that anywhere. Um, same thing with the idea of like the Skeksis are very heavily uh, coded as as being capitalists, which was in the original as well. But like that's why I think a prequel was so necessary because like you have to expand on that and connect it to our modern issues with capitalism, like the fact that we're heading towards ecological collapse right. and the fact that people keep trying to negotiate with them and tried to, you know, set up these neoliberal uh, pacts with corporations to say like, well, we'll give you, you know, this much of our wealth and let you keep this much as long as you promise to behave responsibly and not destroy the planet. And they're like, fuck no, I'm going to still do it anyway. Just won't get caught. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was exactly where the dark crystal needed expansion and needed you know, I mean, it's a reboot. Like, you you look at it as taking the themes of the Dark Crystal and applying them to the modern world, where we're just experiencing so many more problems. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so I many mean, of the I, same problems that haven't gotten right. any better. Right. I mean, I'll, I'll say this um, about the spiders. I do think they... Um, they really do feed into sort of the theme of the original, which was this idea of, you know, together we are broken and weak and evil sometimes, and it's only through togetherness and oneness that uh, we can create change and bring beauty. And the the spiders as a hive mind are just sort of like the the deepest distance distillation of that um so i I did like that like the dark crystal was all done sort of mythically through visual um it wasn't nothing was really spelled out you know narratively you know there was a lot of themes of nature you know versus um you know the fakeness of Mm -hmm. this you know like the the characters who use the most technology are are also the most evil and they're also othered because they come from somewhere else they're not from the earth right um, they're literal aliens <laughs> yeah um and and i think those themes are expanded as well in 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 the prequel i i mean i just think like the, when you say the story is bad, I, I just it's don't know what boring. you mean by that. Like, I, I wasn't invested in these characters' development because I felt it was too cookie-cutter. And I felt like all of the, um, you know, maybe it was because I already knew some of the things that people were discovering through this show, through either reading the graphic novels or through, um, like, you know, reading some of the the outside world-building material that, that exists in, in various places. Um, but be, I think because I already knew some of the basic world-building, it felt less exciting for me to explore it. Like, it was really cool to see a lot of it. Um, again, like, I thought this was gorgeously created, but I just didn't feel that... Uh, like, like, it didn't surprise me. Like, nothing in it surprised me. I didn't connect with the characters beyond sort of their, like, tropiness. Like, there were moments here and there where I I felt like I could connect with them and... and I mean, I just a... immediately, from the word go, thought that Deet was... Deet's great. Everyone else kind of sucks. needs to be protected. And, you know, she's yes. very important to me on an emotional <laughs> level. 
Um, yes. And her relationship with um, Rian. Um, up. Hup. 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 Sorry. Oh, Hup. Yes. Uh, I was... found Hup mm, hit or miss. Um, hit or I also, miss. I also found it because sometimes I was like, yeah, I'm in. I'm with you, Hup. And then other times I'm like, this is a stupid joke that I don't enjoy. Um, you know, there there was a lot of stuff with the podlings that I also didn't enjoy because they felt like a separate race of people and more like these sort of subservient class of being. Um, both they to were. The that was the and, point. That was they were an underclass. But how was that the point in the original? You know, like we had no sense of that or not. You know, like they were. Well, they were they were slaves in 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 the original, right? Because they were drained of their essence. Like you know, the Gelfings. Right, and in this one, even too. though they're not, they're still viewed as as lower uh, compared to the Gelflings, who are one hundred percent like on the side of the Skeksis at the beginning. Sure. So, I mean, like, that's the point is that, like, if you side with fascist capitalists, you're going to end up being a little fascist yourself and a little bit, um, you know, paternalizing, sort of going in and saying, oh, we have to clean these these filthy, peasants. like, peasants. Yeah. yeah. And like, oh, you're, you know, too stupid to govern yourselves. We'll govern you for you. All right. Um, and, you know, they're just happy being who they are except for the ones who recognize that the world is being destroyed and feel the need to protect it like Hup, right. which <laughs> makes him a hero yeah Hup, Hup is pretty great um i, I don't know but so, so you felt like they should have been sort of seen as just an equal and separate race from the gelfling i mean like you can have i i just i felt it felt too paternalistic maybe but you know I, I like your explanation for it. It makes it somewhat more, um, I mean, not palatable, but like it, it, it explains it a little bit better than yeah. I feel like, like anything that, that I had sort of thought about it. Cause it, it really does feel like they're just, they're just kind of there for comic relief and to be looked down upon. And then like, Oh, look at this one good one. Who's, who's able to break the mold. Like that's how I sort of looked at Hup sometimes. That sort of exceptionalism. Yeah, he was a little bit the token podling, like prove me wrong. Um, But like, I mean, that's what I, sometimes I think that accusations of tokenism are, are, are somewhat unfounded um, in places where, where the, the point of the story is that the, 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 you know, the people as a whole are experiencing great oppression. They have no access to these roles. They can't be paladins. They can't hold uh, office. Um, and then there's one who just simply refuses to accept that. But that has to be an exceptional person because the system is so oppressive that you there's know no only other the way. There, yeah there's no other way. Like only a very select few are ever going to break through that mold. And that becomes right. a story well, that becomes kind of, you know, like, oh, well, if they can do it, then anyone can do it. And, and that can reinforce some negative things. But I, I think in this case, the implication is that any podling could be anything that they wanted to be. They're not really lesser than the Gelfling. Right. They just are put in a lesser position. 
Right. I, well, and I mean, like, the this idea of class stratification is challenged so early in the show with the literal, like, oh, I have to tap the stones in the order of the clans being best. And yeah, I thought that was a little bit, like, on the nose. But, I mean, for, like, if there's kids watching. Right. I mean, I can always forgive anything that's simplistic in this show because it could be a child's first exposure to these fantasy, you know, narrative tropes. Right. And everything that's complicated, I am able to loud and and say, like, this is the greatest thing because (laughs) it's an important story for adults to see. (laughs) Right, right. Um, Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Like, yeah, so so there's there's a little, I, I felt a little bit of tokenism with Hop, but... But I I agree on the whole from your explanation. I'm with you on sort of for for the purpose of the themes of the stories, I understand why the podlings are uh, the way they are. Um, Yeah. Um, But I mean, I I just thought that on the whole, the the story of a, a group of squabbling peasants who, you know, all look down on each other and, uh, you know, have this really fucked up system to just sort of throw off the shackles of their oppressive um, structure and then to face certain death at the hands of the the fascist capitalists who are literally draining them of their essence uh, and draining them of what it is to be. Like... That's pretty fucking good. And I, I didn't notice too many, you know, thematic or uh, plot contradictions with the Dark Crystal. Uh, again, I don't think there's a lot of thematic ones. And I, I think a lot of the, the contradictions that I picked up on are probably small and more on the level of nitpicks than anything else. And again, I'll reiterate, I think for me, the biggest quote-unquote crime of Age of Resistance is not that it's bad. I don't think it's bad. It was just boring. Nothing in it surprised me. Nothing in it engaged me to the level... Uh, there, there wasn't a sense of mystery to it. That's that's what I think my problem was. Is that really? I... Yeah, I knew where the story was going. I knew that no matter what these characters discover, like, I've discovered it in a movie 20 years ago when I was a child. Like, But there were tons of stuff that they discovered that weren't in the movie. I mean, like, when they go and, and research about the darkness and try oh, and find darkening? the... the darkening? The dumbest name of all time? Wait, why is... I mean, it's just dark. It... It's just dumb. Like, like it's, it's unobtainium. Like, it's fine. It's just dumb. Well, it, it's not it's engaging. It's a literal description of what it is. It's a darkening of the crystal and a darkening of the planet. I don't... I mean, like, what did you want them to call it? The, the, the spookums. Like, yeah, it's a negative thing, but it's, like, it's a, it's a planetary crisis that they're facing that sort of mirrors climate change, and they call it the darkening because it's what it is. It's fine. I just, it was hard for me to take seriously when people are shouting about the darkening in the same way that when watching Avatar, it was hard for me to take it seriously. And they're like, we've got to get the unobtainium. Like it's a, it's a small thing, but there, I felt like there were a lot of very small things like that, that all piled up on top of each other and took away from my enjoyment. And maybe that's just me being overly critical like I'm not saying don't go watch this show I think there are lots of people who get a lot of enjoyment and a lot of like great 
great meaning from what Age of Resistance has to offer. I personally found was bored. <laughs> like I was I was just bored. Like that's 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 all I all I've got. I think I I do think though it, it it's one of the things that just makes it so unique is just the puppets of it all because <laughs> right. while we do still use a lot of practical effects in films, um, things have been moving more and more towards the digital, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but there's something to the idea that like filming something that actually deal. exists captures all of its imperfections right all the subtleties of the movement that you can't you can't get from purposefully animating it but you could get from motion capture you can't get the physicality in cgi but you can get that physicality in stop motion but stop motion doesn't have the, the movement it's like every medium has these like pluses and minuses in getting towards what the ideal is which is like fantasy realism sure the idea that something actually exists that but I mean, exist. is is that the ideal though? Because I, I I don't know. I, that. I think it is for for this show at least. It doesn't have to be. But the 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 trick of of puppetry is to get you to believe that something that isn't alive is alive. I I mean I think alive, but I think you know, knowing that it's I I, I don't know. I don't think. For me, the ideal, like when I'm watching an animation, you know, um, like my goal is not necessarily like seeing something that is very photorealistic is always very impressive and very cool. And it's it's great if you can accomplish that. But like oftentimes my favorite animations are not photorealistic and in fact, like have a looseness and, um, you know, something uh, something extra that the medium allows them. And I think with puppetry, I think the fact that it's this fantastical creation that moves and acts as though it is alive, but I know that it's not, I think that's the joy in it for me. Like, I don't want it to trick me into totally thinking like, oh yeah, this is totally real. Like, I, I want to know that it's fake because that's where I'm going to be impressed. That's where I think it's going to allow me that um, emotional or creative distance from the actions, uh, and, and let me take in potentially the story or the, uh, emotions or the characters or something like that, you know, something that's not So you're just... saying that, that when, when things appear fake, they ignite your imagination. They, yeah. they bring you into the realm of like the novel where when you read right. something, you know, it's not there because you have to imagine all of it. When right. you see a puppet, who is, you know, like wildly like bouncing up and down. We're supposed to <laughs> interpret that as walking, right. even though that's not how any person would walk. Right. Uh, and that's that's the imagination activating. Yeah. So you like the, the sort of semiotics of that. Right. And I think, you know, that's the power of um, of graphic novels, of animation, of stop motion. Like I. I I enjoy that creative work that my brain is forced to do to take in what I'm seeing as real. Um, and so, I think so that's in that why, case, like yeah. what, what do you get out of puppets in terms of that, that you don't get out of animation? Um, I, I think it does add an extra element of, 
like I, I don't want to say reality. I, verisimilitude. That's what I want to say. It adds an yeah. element of verisimilitude where well, that's I what I'm see... saying, right? So like it's sure. capturing a different element in reality. It yes. still leaves something something wanting. But I mean, the, the the push it seems is to go for more fantasy realism, more the idea of the Skeksis actually physically existing in reality. Ah, um, yes, okay. Like I that's that's I, sort of what I'm saying is is not that they're go- ever going to you know just completely replicate the real world because mm-hmm. obviously the this world contains something that isn't contained in the real world. <laughs> right, but right. They want to they want to make us believe that the Skeksis exists, and I think if you did an animated Skeksis, which they tried, it doesn't look right. It's like it's not it, it's not physically there. Right, exactly. Like there is a certain magic to real effects and i'm gonna i'm gonna use stranger things season one as an example here of in season one of stranger things they used way more practical effects than they do in sort of the entire rest of the series and it's something that i sort of miss because in season two they introduced like the demodogs or whatever and they're entirely cgi and you know i i missed that that sort of sense of no there's literally a monster in the room and like however good you're gonna make this cgi monster look and however scared i am gonna be like the first time i watch it the second time i watch it i'm like it's a cgi monster and like i'm less scared than than i could have been and every time i watch the dark crystal i go oh shit that puppet's gonna fucking smash through that window and it's actually smashing through that window and it's gonna like grab (laughs) shit with its claws like it's happening and like of course i'm not like oh no they're really in danger but you you understand what i'm saying but if the if the if they could be cgi'd to be like even more realistic than what's possible with today's technology like is there anything that would be lost in that? I I don't know. It depends on like like that's the sort of question of asking if we're living in a simulation does it matter if it feels real, you know? Like mm. like that's that's a bigger psychological philosophical okay. question right. that I think. That, that that makes sense. I guess I guess that's sort of t- speaking to like Baudrillard and the idea of simulation and simulacra right. like the <laughs> you know as we approach the real, do we seek we seek out things that are more than real, that are hyper real? And that's right. what these fantasy stories are, is right. they're not just real. Because if we could see something that was just real, it would be boring. Exactly. And I think, you know, that's the that's what drives people to create art in the first place, is that here is here is something that is beyond real whether it's a a story or it's a piece of art or it's a song like this is something that otherwise could not exist if like i i didn't try to make it so and make it different in some way that you're going to take notice you know um like narrative is constructed and puppets are constructed and all of these things have to come together to create whatever is going to be beamed into our eyeballs through Netflix. <laughs> and <laughs> like, I, I want there to be that, that sense of imperfection in it. You know, like even the most perfect movie is going to feel more real because 
it it doesn't move seamlessly or the light reflects a little bit strange or, or yeah, whatever. It's a series of mistakes, basically. Things exactly. that can't be calculated, you know, even if you try to, to calculate the randomness, you can't do it um, unless we are living in a simulation. But <laughs> what... But but I've been reading about um, film theorist Andre Bazan or Bazan. Uh, I'm not good at pronouncing French names, <laughs> but uh, it, like his basic idea was that the I, the cinema itself is about capturing objective reality. That like you you can't uh, you can't use film to explore like the surreal the 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 unreal because it Mm. unlike painting it physically captures the light that is bouncing off of something that actually exists and in in that way you capture all the little mistakes and not everything can be planned by an animator um and like you can try and simulate randomness but even that it's under the control of the creator so right what's great about puppets is that even though there's somebody controlling them they can't control their hand movements completely. There's always going to be a little bit of shakiness. Uh, They can't control the way that the light's going to bounce off of a particular piece of foam that they've produced. Right. Um, It's a, it's a plastic art, which, which sort of, uh, but, but the fact that like all the plastic art happens before the light goes into the camera lens, like, that's unique to to film and to cinema. And I think that's why even as animation gets to the realm where we can make the Lion King reboot, like <laughs> there's still a desire sometimes from certain people to go back to puppets, to go back to practical. Hell yeah. Uh, anything else that you wanted to say about puppets? Um, I like puppets. I don't know. I like them. <laughs> maybe, that's, maybe that's controversial. Maybe we're weird for being into puppets. I feel like puppets just have this reputation of being Chucky. Like, like, do you want to talk about Chucky for, like, ten seconds? Because you, you brought it up earlier. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I think you can really see where uh, CGI and uh, puppets sort of, like, meet when, in, when you look at something like Chucky or something like Star Wars, right? Where, like, you're going from a physical thing in space to a, a computer generated thing. And like Chucky, the sequel, I mean, from what I look at it, just visually, it looks like, uh, it, it, it doesn't look as scary because you know that the CGI puppet thing that's moving, sure. It's moving kind of realistically, but it's not really there. Right. Like if a puppet was coming after you in real life, if that was a thing that could happen, it wouldn't look like CGI Chucky. It would look like, like practical effects. Exactly. Um, And, you know, like there were definitely uh, practical effects in the, the new one, but like there was also a lot of use of CGI, um, which, you know, like the mixture of it maybe does better to blend these things but like the original chucky you could almost you could kind of believe that this was like a real toy that somebody would own and a real toy that somebody would make and the new chucky is like it's a piece it's just a a horrifying thing that no child would ever want to (laughs) buy right right like it's not the corruption of innocence it's just nope this is a monster from the beginning get ready it's coming 
Yeah, th- th- that's how I feel. And, uh, you know, I-, I also think it's worth talking about, like, the desire to make puppets uh, more adult and-, and less for kids, which is something sure. that's mirrored in animation. Um, yeah. But in the same way that for animation, like, uh, adult animation for a while was just the introduction of, like, Curse sex words. and drugs. Yeah. And violence into well, I mean, the medium. You know, you like have Avenue Q, like which is basically exactly you have Avenue Q, the Family or, Guy um, of musicals, like right. <laughs> it is the Family Guy of musicals, or the Family Guy of like you know, as as Family Guy is to uh, Rugrats, so is Avenue Q to uh, Sesame Street. You know, right. And then you know they try to replicate that for a movie, like the Happy Time Murders. Um, and like nobody wanted to see that. And I don't think like sure it was like a poorly produced product, but also <laughs> I think it was just not something that people wanted to see because people didn't want to see puppets sexing each other. Right, exactly. Like it's it's inherently weird and funny, you know? It's it's not something that can sort of be taken seriously quite in that way but I I think in the same way that um you know there have been a couple of stop motion features and shorts in the recent years that have um had had an adult target audience uh I think the more that people do that and push those boundaries and say look this this is just a medium like any other it doesn't have to be ghettoized to a specific age range the the better we're gonna be when it comes to appreciating art in in these different forms i agree yeah so i mean the future of puppets it's going to be a lot more combining it with cgi because we're just so used to seeing cgi in a lot of Mm -hmm. places that now without cgi it looks less real than if you add cgi on top of it right um we're going to start to see more you know, uh, combining practical effects and puppets with live action things that we, you know, that, that, that we like to watch. But mm-hmm. this will always sort of stand on its own as a puppet thing for adults that doesn't have any people in it. Yeah. You know, like no that people. was it was even different from Labyrinth. Like you didn't really. Did you watch Labyrinth growing up? Yes, I did. I loved Labyrinth. But but you but you always liked Dark Crystal more. Yeah. Dark Crystal, because I, I saw Dark Crystal sooner. I saw, like, I, I was watching Dark Crystal from, like, age four or something like that, mm-hmm. um, which is maybe too young because I know it freaked my siblings out, but uh, I oh, it's loved freaky. it. Yeah. Um, but then I didn't see Labyrinth till I was sometime, like, later elementary school over at a friend's house, um, and I really loved it and, you know, would continue to watch it s- since then. Um, but, but Dark Crystal, there was something special about it being this entire world devoid of people that still felt so real in a way that like animation wasn't able to provide. Yeah. I I think there's something to that. And there's also something to, you know, when you put one human being in, um, you you know, in the puppet world, it suddenly becomes like a stage show. It suddenly becomes like reduced to, you know, Broadway uh, as opposed to when it's devoid of humans and it's just puppets. You can, you can actually believe that the world exists somewhere in space. Right. And, you know, 
like, I think an interesting parallel to that is like um, Roger Rabbit a little bit, you know, where it's, it's very, they do, they have to work really hard to make you go, ah, yes, this is a shared universe with real live humans and also Bugs Bunny like cartoons, you know? Yeah, Um, but it's way easier to do for puppets because the light actually hits the puppets automatically and just bounces off. Whereas for a, for an animated thing, they had to bring in puppets to simulate the light and then draw over the puppets to make right. them cartoons. Right. So puppets five ever is our thesis for this one. Puppets, puppets <laughs> five ever. So dark crystal is your favorite puppet movie. Um, yeah, probably at least that I can think of. There are, there aren't a lot of puppet movies, you know, um, I mean, like Jim Henson. Right. Well, I mean, a lot of people prefer like in. the Muppet ones. There's a lot of Muppet movies. That's true. Uh, there are Muppet movies. Um, you know, Star Wars has Jim Henson puppets. There's Neverending Story, which is Teenage a bunch Mutant of Ninja puppets. Turtles. There was a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle puppets. Well, they were costumes, but they had the sort of robotronic oh, the, faces that you know you see in like the live you know, action Hoggle things. in in Labyrinth and stuff. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, no, probably it's it's got to be Dark Crystal because I think it it was that really novel effect of this entire fantasy world sans <laughs> humans, um, and it really made it feel like a f- alien world. Here's here's something. When I saw the movie Babe with the pig, <gasps> I did love Babe. I thought that all of those animals were 100% real in every shot, but there's a lot of fake animals in there. Are there? I haven't rewatched Babe in a very long time, but that was another beloved childhood film. Are there puppets Absolutely. in Babe? There are puppets in Babe, usually yeah. like in the background where you can't see them or in shots where you don't see the animal's face. Um, and you need to have them performing some kind of motion that, you know, wouldn't be, be otherwise possible. Um, but yeah, that was, that was Jim Henson's creature workshop. So. Dang. All right. Well, I know like there are some mice. There are definitely puppet mice in Babe. I remember that. Oh yeah. Um, dang, I'll have to rewatch Babe. Jim Henson, yeah. man. Oh, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy has a ton of aliens that, so that are uh, the 2005, I believe, adaptation with uh, Martin Freeman. I love that movie. That's like a desert island movie for me. Um, but yeah, I, there's like it's 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 odd, like how much it holds up, uh, despite the fact that it did not perform well at the time and, and received a lot of criticism for differing from the books and the radio show. Right, right. Um, it, it's so good, though. And, you know, maybe that's because I hadn't read the books when I first saw it. Um, mm. But but I, I love that, man. Um, but it had a ton of Jim Henson uh, puppet studio, like, aliens all throughout that. And they look great! Like, they look amazing! And that's another one where there's, like, plenty of CGI mixed with that right. that puppet realism. Um, and it it totally works. Right. And another one that mixed CGI and physical, like, puppet costumes was uh, the Where the Wild Things Are movie. That was fucking creepy. <laughs> I never saw that one. <laughs> it was it was bizarre, that, that yeah. movie. But, I mean, I kind of dug it anyway. Uh, but it was, it was a trip. All uh, right. <laughs> there was also the 
television show Dinosaurs where oh my god they are dinosaurs. Yep, uh, that's that's a weird one. Forgot. Not about sure if that. I can defend that one. Everyone likes Fraggle Rock. Everybody Love likes Rock. Uh, Labyrinth. Everybody likes. I don't know if anybody remembers Emmett Otter's Jug Band. Uh, I don't even remember that. Do you, what? What is that? It's a. It's about an otter. Uh, he's got a jug band. All right, love it. Yeah, man. <laughs> uh, all I, all I can say is I'm glad that somehow, fifty years later, with CGI being as good as it is now, that we, we still got the puppet show. You know, yeah. and we we still got and and we're probably gonna get a season two of the puppet show. Um, exactly. And maybe I'll, like the puppet show. I'll be more surprised by the puppet show, and then I'll like it more. <laughs> That's yeah, my hope we'll, for the we'll future. We'll have to see. We'll have to so, see. So uh, we'll we'll see you guys again, maybe in like a year or so, when uh, <laughs> when puppets come back. All right. Well, we'll catch you on the puppet side. We'll we'll meet again some sunny day. Bye. Bye.